my grief showed up in overcompensation, overperformance. I looked to the future, anticipating every all things that could happen or go wrong and having always backup plans and things like that, which serves you really well and is a total bullshit, right? Like it's just, it doesn't really exist. So it's like, then you're undoing. My grief and all of that was more about like trying to undo all that. Gabby Reese, I want to thank you for being here. Well, thank you. And for being at your place. Thanks for being here. I know. I live saying. here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the host of the podcast, but I'm literally in your humble abode. Isn't it so. great? Thank you. No, thank you for coming here. It makes my life so much easier. That's you have no I'm, idea. I'm trying to make it easy on you. Yeah. I think we're, we're off to a good start. So I am going to be testing your sense of humor. I kind of okay. warned uh, Alex about this. So we're gonna, I'm going to feel this one out. But we both have a couple things in common. Oh, it's probably not that obvious to me right off the bat. It's not? I don't know. So my dad, <laughs> I mean, we both lost your dad at a young age. Mm-hmm. You were even younger, five. Mm-hmm. I was 12. So there's a couple of things I want to, I, I want to direct the conversation, but feel free to go wherever you feel comfortable. Both of our dads died in, a, you died, your dad died in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. My dad involved mm-hmm. a plane, but not quite. Right. So on this, both sides of the spectrum. And I wasn't trying to make a joke there. But oh, I was like, was that the joke? I, not okay. really. <laughs> Anyone that listens to this podcast, you know my jokes always don't land. So we're just going to go right there. But it's interesting with your story because there's grief that comes when you know, know something's going to happen. And then there's grief at a young age where I feel like the process happens much later. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was for me. So I'm curious to learn your experience about losing your dad at such a young age. How that, A, of course, shaped the rest of your life. But what was that process losing your dad at five years old when you only remember so much? Well, I think also there's some real differences. Right off the bat, um, being 12 is way harder than five Mm. because um, you're moving into sort of those formative years where you're going to start developing more of your own beliefs and how the worldview is and then something serious like that happens. It's sort of like why divorce is much harder for a 12, 13, 14, or 15-year-old than a little kid. So starting with that. Secondly, you know, your dad went to work that day and didn't come home. I actually was not living with either one of my parents when my dad died. I was living with childhood neighborhood friends. My mother's from Long Island. So neighborhood friends that they'd hang out. And they were a couple I was not genetically linked to them, but I called my aunt and Uncle Joe. And I remember I was sitting in my room and the phone rang because it's, you know, no, it's landlines. And so I remember the tone in my aunt Rhett's voice and I knew something was wrong. And so then she came into my room and I was sitting in my bed and she had told me. So it's a different sense of loss. Also, I think there's something really different about, I saw my dad, he put me to bed or I said goodbye to him when he went to work and then he didn't come home. I think that is even more, um, there's something where the rug really gets pulled out where I had, a, I was almost a little more accustomed to some space without these, these people in, in my life. Yeah. I'm always, I, I guess you, I think the way I look at it is there's differences, but uh, yeah. not to say which one is. I, I don't you want know. me to be really sad? Is that it? I mean, I was hoping you'd cry by now. It's only no, no, I mean, you know, I'm actually disappointed. No, listen, of course, I, I think we all want to know where we come from. So maybe you have a greater sense of that than I had the opportunity because you, do do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I knew my dad and he, you know, would do this on the weekends or whatever. I I didn't know. I knew my dad when he would come to visit. And also um, for what this is worth, I think 
a lot of what, um, I think there's a lot of things I inherited from my father that I can feel intuitively have guided me because there's certain personality traits and certain things that because there were some very difficult times, we all have them. I think those things actually were some of the things that guided me through like were what? just certain traits, personality traits. Um, I even look, uh, you know, sort of, I have the kind of size of my mother. And then, um, you know, from here to here, I look very similar to my father. So I think there was ways I could connect by looking at photographs. Cause again, no cell phones. So it's not like hours and hours of logged videos and things of a person. And so there's also, there's a lot of data suggesting that you kind of do one or two things when you lose a parent. If you're a daughter losing a father, you become the kind of male figure to yourself or, you know, you go on a tear, mm. right? Looking for love or things like that. So I probably did versions of both growing up. Were you able to identify that? You know what I mean? Did you bring it all the way back to your father immediately? No, definitely not. Just being a teenager and being rebellious and like, he thinks I'm pretty and he's being nice to me and that's male energy and attention to, oh, no, yeah, no, I'm going to sort of find that way to have that energy for myself. And so, and again, being, then it gets accentuated. You're, I go into sports, then I go into professional sports, certain natural personality traits where you, you sort of kind of try to house that for yourself and then I met Laird at 25, which is pretty young, young adult. And he's obviously has a lot of masculine energy. And um, I probably was drawn to that for a lot of reasons. So everything you just explained, is that, do you think that's part of the grief process? Like what, what do you define your grief process as losing your father so young? You know, I have to be honest, I had another battle I was fighting, which was my, I wasn't with my mom. So I was battling kind of different things. Which is uh, a sense of grief. No, it's not a bite. Maybe it's not yeah. A so I, I, I don't know that I could just put it onto one thing. I think I was sort of trying to navigate not feeling um, secure mm-hmm. and feeling like who was going to take care and um, what was going to happen. And um, I, it showed up in in a lot of ways. So it showed up in overcompensation. It showed up in. Um, I went to college at 17. I started modeling at 18. I bought a townhouse at 19. Why did I do that? I was looking for roots, security, a place that I knew was going to be there. So those are all coming out of, because when we are not experienced, if we're not feeling grief or something, I think we roll with it more. Mm. We're not trying to lock everything down and organize it and know what it is, because that's just a false sense of I'm in control. So my grief showed up in overcompensation, overperformance. I looked to the future, anticipating every all things that could happen or go wrong and having always backup plans and things like that, which serves you really well and is a total bullshit, right? Like yeah. it's just, it doesn't really exist. So it's like, then you're undoing. My grief and all of that was more about like trying to undo all that. So, you know, maybe I made a certain part of my personality feel good and still for a minute, but it also creates a lot of limitations. Mm. So how do you, how do you have the wherewithal and the, the sense of, Hey, it's all really scary and that's okay. Because when you experience loss early, you know, they talk about attachment styles. Well, one of them is in a detached way. And that certainly was the way I did it. 
Attached. Detached. Detached. Okay. Right. Cause it's like, oh, you're going to leave or whichever that way that means. In my case, it was, you're going to leave out the door and you're going to leave. Yeah. You're going to die. And so then you have to get to a place where you're like, wait a second, am I going to love and risk and do all these things that are really scary to me? If you want to build a, a life that has, you know, color and, and possibility, I think you have to, you have to let go. Yeah, it's much easier said than done. And I was just talking to someone about letting go. And I want to kind of go backwards to something that you said that stood out when I asked you what was your grief process and you started bringing up your relationship with your mother and mm-hmm. it was hard to identify. You know, normally I feel like I'd even ask the importance of identifying it, but then I realized it's not important. And I think what you did is relating to that in that you didn't, it was tough to identify. And therefore, since it was tough to identify, you weren't able to identify, but you were able to identify the emotions regardless. Yeah. And that's key. Yeah. I think, and I think there was levels of that. I think you do a version of, because it's also survival and it's hierarchy of needs and importance. So when you're young, it's like, oh, I have to get through school. Okay. Now I'm going to move back with my mom. Now I have to try it as a young adult to build a life. And then as maybe you start to live life, you go, oh, wait, there's some other things that I need to deal with. And those then move from the bottom of the list and they sometimes move higher. I think, you know, and then you have kids and then it, it becomes important in a, for a different reason. Because mm. it's like, hey, I don't want to pass this on or have this limit me <laughs> as sort of this loving parent um, because I have these things. So it, 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 there's a, when you're in survival mode, it's one thing. And then I think as you get the little bit of space, if you get that opportunity, that's why if you think about it, people that come from really tough areas and they're experiencing loss all the time, but they don't get the luxury and the space to really take a look at it because their foot's always on the gas of, hey, I got to survive. Yeah. I got to get through this. I still have to work. I still have to keep the lights on. Where for me as a young adult, I, I, I got a little bit of runway and it was like, oh, okay, I can start to just take a look at this. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's the different experiences of experience in general. Because if you don't have that time to work it out, it's just going to continue to, excuse my language, it'll fuck you up in many ways or screw you yeah. up in many ways. And again, it goes back to losing someone that's so young because I feel like a lot of our stuff we project and do ends up being from when we're kids. So when you get hit with something like that, I think. <laughs> I'm like, how could the first 16 years of your life determine po- quite possibly unless you're paying attention the next 70? I get back to what I was saying. I don't know. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of insane. I have these conversations all the time and people that are looking back, it always goes back to the childhood. And that's mm-hmm. why it's so fascinating that you had this, you have, let alone just the normal stuff that goes on. You have a traumatic experience like that. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you, 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 you had that recollection before it happened, but after that, did it go, the memories go black for you? About my feelings about my dad? Yeah. No, I, it was interesting because my dad was very beloved on his side of the family. And so, for example, I got more reunited with them when I was 18 because I then started working and traveling so I could come out. uh, They're from Trinidad, but I, a lot of them lived in California so I could come and visit and get to know them again. Mm -hmm. And I, and I also always stayed pretty close to my dad's brother, uh, my uncle Teddy. And what was interesting for me was there was something about me that reminds them of him. And so that was sort of an interesting way to be loved for being their niece or granddaughter, but also I could see that I was also loved for being my father's daughter. 
And that kind of kept you close to your dad in some way? Yeah, I think it was like, oh, this is somebody people were really fond of and who liked people and who was pretty um, intuitive about people and certain things that I don't think I got so much from my mother, certain traits, right? So I thought, oh, this, because there's certain things that were easy for me. And I, and I've learned that it was just probably also a trait, some of the traits that my, my father had. And, um, and so that was really interesting. The funniest was meeting an old girlfriend of his that really liked him. And, um, when she first met me as a young adult, it, you know, I, I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, this lady's tripping out right now. And even the roommate that he lived with when he died, um, uh, he had a hard time the first sort of few hours hanging out with me because it was, you know, just a reminder. Isn't that an interesting perspective? Because whenever I think about, it took me a while to even contemplate this, maybe I'm a selfish asshole, but the grief aspect, I always think about me and my immediate family, of mm. course, but when you think about the effect they have on people around you, and that's something I didn't think of till I was older, because again, a lot of the stuff I, I had become a man and X, Y, Z, but when you, it's a weird lens. Yeah. Well, it's also, they're a person that people loved and um, they had relationships that were before you were, you existed and they had interest outside of just their family and they were dynamic in their own ways. And, and uh, it's always nice to kind of get a sense of it. You're never going to fully understand it um, from, from the other people. Yeah. I wonder for you, because I've always said the, one of the hardest parts about losing my dad young is the lack of new memories and thinking, you know, when I turned 21, when I turned, when I got this, well, actually, I wouldn't have this podcast, but that was around, so that, that would have been different. Um, but nevertheless, there's lack of new memories. That's what always ate me up. You know, like, oh, this has been a good moment to have with my dad. Oh. And granted, I, maybe it's different because you mentioned how I had 12 years of my dad. So yeah. I, I had that benefit. As, a, as sad as it is, it's a blessing. You didn't, you didn't even get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it never occurred to me. Sorry. And and uh, and and, to, and no meaning. I was in such high gear of get it done yes. that I wasn't thinking. Oh, you know. I, in fact, it's very interesting, and it's a sometimes a hard thing to figure out how to balance. Is I don't check in with anyone about anything in general. I mean, I have a husband, so I check in now with him for well, it's been almost twenty eight years. But I'm saying, as far as like anyone else in my life. I don't check in with anybody about anything because I have always felt like I'm on my own. So sometimes that has a harshness to it because it's not customary, right? So the, traditionally we sort of do things. But for example, I did an interview this morning at 8 a.m. for my volleyball coach from college who I'm very close to and I love and respect her. So I have allegiances and loyalties, but I always felt like, oh, I'm on my own. And so with that, I never had this idea of, of like, um, even traditions or certain things. It's just like, I, I didn't really have that. And then obviously Laird and I have built a family and I have three daughters. And within that, I want to be really solid and consistent for them. But there's tones where I know my youngest especially wishes I was more fanfare and like sort of about, and, I, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm just, she's like, you're so functional and practical. Drives her nuts. Right. Like she wants to get like a Thanksgiving. Right. She and I will have the biggest Thanksgiving dinner and it's like a hammer. But she'll be like, well, let's decorate and do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, like whatever. That's extra. So that's a byproduct of sort of not swimming in those pools of like, oh, what would this be like? And what would that be like? That's so fascinating how it all correlates to that. You know what I mean? One t- 
totally obviously traumatic experience or any other experiences you've had can just transfer to uh, the littlest things. Oh yeah. It almost seems freeing. I wish I didn't check up with anyone. Well, I listen, I always say this because I'm, I'm trying to develop. And when I say good family, I mean a family that's connected. I don't mean a DuPont family, you know, like, oh, they went to whatever Harvard. I don't care. It's a good family for me is a family where everyone gets to be themselves, but, and somehow maybe they're trying to be connected. And my hope was to try to develop um, a good family. But even within that, I tell my daughters, if you want to come see dad and I, or you want to visit, it's also got to be good for you. You don't owe me anything. You're not obliged to me on anything. Because what I do know is I don't want any relationship like that, even with my children. Now, do I want them to understand about, um, you know, honoring people, people that have invested in you, reciprocity, kind of those dynamics of give before you want to even take kind of thing. Yeah, but not uh, obligation. I don't want one single relationship out of obligation. And that is definitely a byproduct of, I think, kind of going through that as a kid. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I can see how from some people that seems probably cold and this, that, and the other, but it's raw and real. Well, yeah, and, and by the way, the friendships I have, I mean, and the relationships I have, I'm a very loyal person. So I'm not saying like, hey, but, but I also kind of grew up thinking, is this good for me? Is it not good for me? Right. Because I was on my own. So there's a harshness in that, but that I think it's better anyway. In fact, I just, there's a book sitting on my desk called The Power of Me. And it's like, let's say your family gets together and the conversation was like, they, they're going to be together for eight days. I'm not saying your family, but let's say a family. And one member of the family goes, it really works good for me for about three days. And then I got to go. Great. They should do that. And that's sort of one of the things it talks about, which is like those real honest and direct lines of communication, which also make me have, I have the capacity to be more loving and more giving. I can give way more and I can serve everybody in my life way more because I'm in a certain way also ruthless. I love that. And you're aware of it. And it doesn't make sense because if you're overextending yourself or forcefully doing something, therefore it's not natural and it's no. not going to be good for anyone. No. And you remind me of my sister, um, not you particularly, but that example you gave reminds me of my sister because we try to do, we haven't done it in a while. We try to do family, me and my mom and my sisters, mm-hmm. only boy. And when we do these trips, Gina is usually the one, Gina, if you're going to listen to this, she's always the one that's like, all right, I'm going to be there for, I'm going to get there Friday, but I got to leave Saturday night or Sunday morning. We'll stay the extra day. And we don't get like offended. Like, no, I get it. You got to do what you got to do. You got your kids, whatever. Yeah. It's Gina. It's all yeah. good. And, doesn't, and she's a, making the effort she wants to be on the trip, but that's her. And I'll stay an extra day or by myself. That's me. It's, yeah. And I think that's so important. I just want to be in relationships where people feel like they can really be themselves. Yes. And uh, I just, I feel like I'm going to also do that. And as females, that's one level harder right? We're taught like, be nice and be sweet. Is that okay? You know, all that. It's training, right? And I think, again, I've gotten rid of a lot of that and I'm, but I'm much more loving and I am, I have a bigger space to hold for people. Is it because you're kind of keeping within your bandwidth? Does that make sense? Uh, No, I'm just able to be myself. And so all of the energy is there for me to access, to use at all times. There you go. And it doesn't mean I don't do things I don't want to do. Of course, that's part of life. But I'm just saying in general, the more I can operate like that, uh, it's just better. People are, I mean, it's weird. People are, I guess it's not weird. People are very uncomfortable being themselves, which I understand for many 
without understanding many facets. I mean, I've had to battle with that, but it's so much, when you get through that cusp, that first like wave, that first barrier, if you will, of just doing it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. You have so much less on your shoulders, so much less to pretend. Like you said, Laird doesn't, it's very honest. Oh my God. You don't carry that weight of being something else yep. and you just live a better life. Easier said than done. Oh yeah. How do you break through that without having an experience like you did? I think you just practice, right? I think you practice with, I have a, a acquaintance, she's from Bosnia. She's pretty fabulous. And uh, somebody invited her to like some baby shower and she's like, darling, do they know me? You know what I mean? Like, that's me. Put me on that list too. Unless you're my very best friend, don't invite me to like these girl gatherings with games and stuff. Like, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like your house is on fire. You need someone to come get you. I will be there. Yes. Like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Snickers in a dirty diaper bag. Like, I just, I'm not down with it. So when she said that, I thought, oh, and I, I think if you just practice. So um, it's hard, obviously, you know, even professionally, you can practice with a way that you have to communicate because it needs to be appropriate. But you have to have a you know professional communication, but in all areas, every time something happens, you know, for me, they always say notice in your body where it shows up. I always my my ears will burn. Really? Oh yeah, like if I have something that's like I don't like or I don't I didn't like the way it went down or I don't, and then uh, my face will start kind of burning. Wait, did your ear get red? No, it just burns. It's like a heat that goes right up there, which means like, oh, this is making me uncomfortable. There's something about this I don't like. So instead of shoving it down and packing it down and putting away, some people say, hey, they feel it in their solar plexus. Some people say, hey, my throat gets narrow. It's like, find the courage, but find the words. Because one thing you don't want to do, and this is the worst, let's say we're going to make a hypothetical. I've done something You've done something to me in a way, in a working environment that maybe was, uh, you know, like you took credit for something or you said you were going to do something and you didn't. Okay. So then I approach you, but I don't approach you in that way. So I don't say, hey, listen, this went down. Um, I didn't really appreciate it. I just want to let you know. Instead, I come in hot. I maybe say too much stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I'm apologizing to you because of something that ultimately I was actually trying to work out with you. And it's the same in my personal life. If I blow up at Laird, I've lost my point. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to tell my girls, if you have a gripe with me, come and tell me because you don't get to stand on your point if you don't know how to communicate. Because all of a sudden, if you go, you know, you did that and that, you know, and it, and you're out of your mind, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, so listen, I'm really sorry that I freaked out. Yeah. But that's not what you, that's not what the conversation was about. The conversation, so let's stay focused on what it was, was, hey, this happened, um, didn't make me comfortable. Can we figure this out? If I come in hot, now I go the other direction and I'm apologizing and I never get to my point. Because you're apologizing by how you handled it? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of learning those skills where you, so to people who want to try that, it's like, just practice a little. Yeah. If you have a partner that says something, go, Hey, I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, maybe you're upset about something, but when you come at me with that tone, like, I don't, what did you want me to feel, know, or understand about what you're feeling? Cause if, you know, it's like, and it's amazing when you don't attack a person, when you just say, this is what I'm experiencing how they will respond, which is usually like, hey, I didn't mean that, or sorry, I just, I'm frustrated, or whatever the million things are. Mm -hmm. But if, I think if one thing is, is that, that kind of space, that detachment has also taught me how to communicate my real feelings, but without adding more 
on top, you know, to the message, trying to actually defuse it and get to the solution. I love it. This is fun. You're great. Me? <laughs> yeah. You're making me think even more because, <laughs> sorry for that impromptu oh, no. compliment. That was, this is fun. Oh, thank you. The, um, yeah, look right in the, all three of the cameras. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's interesting what you're saying about that because I understand coming at someone a certain way to discuss something with, as what the point is as opposed to blowing it up. Yes, Jersey. Let's hear it. Jerks. I'm just kidding, but you know what I mean? <laughs> See, this is, I, I, there we go. I love it. Keep it going. Keep it fresh. Um, what I was trying to say is I think the challenge with that is people receive information differently and people deliver information mm-hmm. differently, but conflicting with your ideology and I think mine too, just being yourself, I think there is an adjustment to deliver information by understanding how they receive information. So it's almost like being a chameleon, not in a selfish or deceiving mm-hmm. way, being a chameleon to deliver information to that person the right way. Because, you know, so like I have someone that might be- Hysterical. Wanting, hysterical, and you got to mm-hmm. approach it that way. Or if someone's more analytical, you got to be more concise and direct to the point. Some people mm-hmm. are more warming and want that, how are you doing? But, and take that approach. Yeah. So there is or, that or, or even a compliment at top, like in work, like, hey, these, you did a great job here, but I just, I need to bring some attention here. Well, okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about that. One is the art of communication. That's why they call it the art. Mm -hmm. So if we're able, the more we're able to step in other people's shoes all day long, the better anyway. I mean, you're going to live in your truth, but the more you can be like, what what that person's going through, it's just going to be better. Yeah. That's why we're doing this. Right. It's just better. I don't know if I could fit in your shoes though. You're a lot taller than me. I, you know, my feet are very big too. Um, but, but there also comes a point where you can't let that be the deterrent for not opening up the can of worms because you're like, oh my God, then how are they going to react and all this. You also just have to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and finally, and most harshly, right at the end of all that, um, I, Byron Katie always says, what you think of me is none of my business. At some point, you just like, you got to say it. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's always a blend. Like, is this the third time we're trying to do this? And we're, no, no, no. Is this, are they having, are they got a lot on their plate? Like, it's great. And then at a certain point, you also just have to be able to say stuff. And, yeah. and, and especially if you're trying to come from a place of love and not fear or ego, which is never going to really work out. So if you're sort of lined up and be like, no, I'm just trying to make this better and solve this. Um, you know, people, there will always be people who react a certain way that you're not going to win. And it's recognizable. I think we all have the intuitive nature of knowing if someone's BSing you. Maybe not everyone, actually. Some people have real poor antennas, but again, you called me Jersey earlier. I like to pull up Jersey on a pedestal one more time. But there is that, I think we do have that, uh, I don't mean to say we. Now I'm going off on a tangent yeah, you about can. Jersey. Dur- direct. Yeah, but I'm saying it's that, it's just that understanding BS. I think everyone has that, Mm -hmm. not just Jersey, but, and and I think we do have those natural antennas, you know, if someone's coming at you correct or not. And I think that in itself is a big step of, even if they might not be delivering it. Right. I mean, that's a sense of compassion. You know, I think that's training too, right? Like when in the house, I think that's kind of great. Sometimes if parents can be like, cause I grew up the five years I lived with a couple, they were from Long Island. My my aunt used to say stuff like, And she was very loving. And then she'd be like, kid, you know, you're bothering me. Go, you know, go away. Don't go away mad, but go away. Right. Like, so I learned this other language of I can be highly loved and taken care of. And someone can also be direct with me, Mm. you know? Um, Are you tough love? Do you give tough love? With my kids? In general, I guess. with I don't know. You'd have to ask the people in my life. I don't know that I'm so tough love. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's my, 
you would maybe think that, but I'm, I'm, I try to be real even keeled and pretty chill. And apparently I have decent patience. Um, yeah, I have pretty good patience. And I have to tell you, I've learned a lot as a parent where maybe how I started out as a parent, I'm not ending up as a parent. So I think, um, I didn't give as much room to my first two teenagers. And when I say that, I mean, teenagers just, they're, they're wild, right? Like they go through so many phases and they say such crazy things and you, you want to react to all of it. And then you realize they're not going to keep doing that. They're going to outgrow that. And so I've just learned to hang back a lot more. I'm just trying to stay focused on listening to them, being there for them and being a good example. Yeah. And I always take things personally, right? Oh, like never take them personally. I mean, never. None of it. None of it. No, never. Almost nothing. No, nothing. If you're going to be in any really, listen, as an athlete, as a business person, as a lover, as a parent, do not take anything personally. Literally almost not. Unless you really, unless you're maybe really banged up. Even then, if I, I, oh, I, no. I didn't do it because of what you think I did it for. Oh, no. Don't take anything personal. It's Life's not personal. Well, also, I don't know what good comes out of it by taking it things personally. Now, if somebody says, hey, you're, you seem to be doing this thing that isn't maybe serving this dynamic, you'd be like, okay, I got to take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like our thoughts. You know, people have busy minds and they'll be, you know, the mind will be like, you're not good and you're not good enough. And no, oh, you didn't do that good. And it's like, Laird and I talk about this all the time. We are not our thoughts, yeah. you know? And so I think it's the same thing with someone's like, you suck. It's like, yeah, okay. Words never really got me that bad. I mean, maybe words affected me a little bit more when it came from someone I actually cared about. Of that, course. That obviously, things different, but when it's from some asshole on the other side of the room, I go, it doesn't do anything to me. Really, yeah. it doesn't do anything Yeah, to no, me. it's only the people close to us who can say things. Yeah, but some people get fired up from strangers, for sure. Yeah, but that's usually something going on with us. Right, that's another thing. Because that's our ego. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. And and that's really it. You know, you lean into it. And you're anytime we get aggressive, it's because we're scared. Really? Even, yeah. even in the gym? What does that mean? You're that aggressive no with idea. the weights? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're trying to generate energy to lift something. I mean, that's different. That's not aggression. That's like a, a false sense of like, rah, power, let's go. I don't even know why I brought that up. That's good. Are you banging heavy? You're banging heavy, heavy got, lows? I, I what do you got? What do you got? I'm back into it, actually. Really? I, I, I've worked out like all my life and it was a lull and now I'm back into it. I'm like, I don't know why I even- That's good. I, I, Lifting heavy things is good. Just don't go too crazy. No, no. Now I'm at a point where I, I work out, but I'm, I don't- I don't like go for any PRs or anything like that. I'm just kind of like, okay. I just want to get moving. So you're not like, hey, what do you bench? Like, what are you benching? Like, you don't do that dialogue? I mean, unless they get like a bro crush in the gym, <laughs> I might just start conversation, but that's this yeah. whole other thing. So like, uh, yeah, I love those. <laughs> I listen to I just, I can't. I, I, was hoping you're I, listen, I, just, I listen to it and I'm always like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> no, that's not me. No, that's cute. Um, thanks. No, but yeah, we just have to look at that. What are we talking about? Aggression. Oh, yeah, yeah. And fear. You know, uh, someone was telling me, I think it's got Blake out on the podcast is talking about men's aggression because a lot of my audiences are women, mm-hmm. and uh, which makes sense. Some yeah. people opening up, trying to get the dudes to work that out, but uh, it's a whole nother. They need it. I know, and I, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. I, I know what it is, but at the same time, I have I've had plenty of men on here, and I, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that opens the gateway yeah. to have some men, you know, chill out a little bit. But whatever. What was my point? What were they talking about? We were talking about male aggression, but testosterone. Let's not let's not downplay the power of that chemical. In a a good way. It's fantastic. But it's a real thing. So when a woman doesn't understand 
uh, why a male reacts a certain way. It's like, yeah, but you have completely different chemistry. And vice versa. Well, that's for sure. We expect you to understand what we're going through. I was right? raised by women. I have a, I have a, yeah, you I have understand. A taste of it. I have a taste. You know what? I, my favorite thing is I, I, one of my favorite things. So we have three daughters, and you, you know, you guys met Laird. And sometimes Laird will be sitting at the counter, and I watch him just allowing. He's like that whole thing of having a relationship with. I'm never going to understand, and the complete harmony and peace he is in that constant state of, yep, and I'm never going to understand this. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so much wisdom happening. Mm-hmm. And and it's so beautiful because what it is, is it's like, uh, well, it's acceptance. It's surrender. Letting go. It's complete surrender. And he drives my daughter who's in 11th grade to school every day. And, you know, she comes at him hard. She's much easier on me than him. And I see him like, mm-hmm, Okay. <laughs> And she walks out with a certain skirt on and he's like, oh, that's really short, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, she'll, uh, well, how long is she going to go through this phase? Because they all go through it, right? I love that. And so as a girl, I remember going through that, like, this looks good, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, but I think I see your butt. I'm not sure. But <laughs> anyway, um, and I see Laird just like, oh, you know, wiping his head and just like surrendering. That's right? beautiful. I mean, and then you go back to aggression. Well, it's but but they live together. I there's a saying in uh, Natural Born Heroes. It's a beautiful book. To be a true warrior, one must be compassionate. And I think we live in a culture and a time where we have villainized masculinity, which I think is a huge error. Um, I think it's like femininity, um, uh, such an essential part of civilization, and also a beautiful trait um, that you, you know you don't want anyone to feel bad uh, because they you know, they are a certain thing, but also I think masculinity needs to be cultivated. So for example, listen, it isn't good to fight, but it is good to know how to protect. Right. So it's these nuanced things that we're kind of, we're throwing away with, I don't want you to fight, but I do want you to know how to protect. Yeah, because that just happens. Yes. And I don't want you, um, to be destructive, but I do want you to be willing to run into a burning building to help somebody. So it's like, how do we sort of empower them? But I have found that every true, highly masculine person that I've ever met, Laird is way more sensitive than I am. And pretty much all of my daughters. And you'll see that pretty much across the board, Mm -hmm. that if it's one or the other. So if we're asking all these males to live in this middle nowhere lane, they're none, they're neither. They're not deeply feeling and deeply helpful and deeply protective and maybe when needed, violent if necessary. It's like, yeah, just live in this quiet nowhere land and they don't get to express. So then you're taking testosterone. It doesn't have a place to go. Yeah, it's a balance. It's very tricky. You'll know this better than me, Alex, who's off camera. Uh, Jordan Peterson mentioned something about, it was, seemed kind of controversial, but it made perfect oh sense about being a, a monster or something yeah. like that. Like you should be able to be a monster, but know how to kind of contain it. Yeah. I might be butchering that. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I've heard it. But I well, love it. No, it, it, you want to have the ability for radical violence, but it's, you know, you want to be able to sit and be as civilized as, you know, as you can be. Well, and the thing is we, we don't realize because we're so disconnected from nature that um, there was there was a, a purpose for these traits, right? If you look at dolphins, when they're attacked or threatened, um, they take the juvenile, the babies and the older dolphins in the middle 
inside. Then they take the females, put them on the outside. Then they put the males on the outside. On the outside of the males are the juvenile males. Why? Because they're like, we're good. We're the best. We can get everything. We're the, you know, and they're crazy, right? Because they're full of testosterone. So I think it's understanding that these traits are helpful at certain times um, and not to be afraid of them. Um, but to also, it's sort of like using, teaching them how to use it. Yeah. And having that, having that sense of discipline. Correct. Because every, that's, what's so beautiful about like a martial art. If you take a young person and you have a sensei or a master, it's respect, it's discipline. It's all these beautiful things that, um, I don't think we observe in general, Mm -hmm. you know, for me personally, I, I'm, I really want to go out into the world and be kind to people and let people go first. And if somebody wants me to open the door for them or take their cart back to the grocery store, mm-hmm. whatever, I want to do that. And I think we're, we are just sort of balking. Yeah. I, love, I don't, I don't personally know any UFC fighters, but most I've heard and observed a lot, some of those UFC fighters, you know, the most brutal guys in the world doing the most violent sport. And then off on the mic, when they talk, they seem the most compassionate and respectful and sportsman-like person you've ever met. So it's having that balance, the ability to do this, yeah. but you know, still be compassionate is, it's healthy. Well, when you get your head punched or kicked, you have humility and you also know how easy it is to hurt people. And even if you win, you lose. So I think a lot of them understand, like, mm, that's usually not the best answer. Yeah, even they know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I forgot we were on a podcast talking about death. Well, I mean, all these things. Listen, I, I often think maybe my life wouldn't have been as expansive if my dad didn't pass. I mean, also, I'm going to always put a positive twist on everything, right? It's like when my friends are single, I'm like, let me tell you everything that's great about being single. They are just ready to have their second or third small child. Let's talk about everything great about that. So I'm always going to go for that because that's trying to live in reality. And I think maybe having that reference or that person I had to sort of say, is this good? Was that good? And remember also, my dad got to die a hero. I didn't get to see any of the cracks really in the veneer. And I only get the beautiful stories from my family and and his friends. So I'll take it and I'll say, okay. And I also had another thought about my dad, which was maybe my dad wouldn't have been great old. There are certain people that maybe they wouldn't have been quite as happy. He was kind of a real free spirit, flying planes, doing all this stuff. And I thought, okay, well maybe, that was better for him somehow. Wow. I don't know. I don't, I mean, we won't know. Maybe we won't know, but maybe we'll find out. Yeah. Do you believe, I mean, as a closing statement, that's interesting because I want to, do you have beliefs towards what happens after and anything like that? I mean, I, I just think when you look at nature, it's so magical and it, the universe is so expansive And I think when I look into each person, they're so unique. So I I would never have the audacity to think this is it. And I think our spirits and our energy, maybe it transforms and moves into a different realm and does something different. Maybe this is school for us. Maybe we're in school right now and then we'll move on, hopefully learn a couple things. Um, But yeah, I mean, this idea of like, when you're dead, then you're in the ground. I'm like, ooh, there's so much magic all around that... You know, I, I, it's hard for me to believe, but maybe that's what I want to believe. I have literally, you, I feel like you were talking in with my mouth because I feel the exact same way. I literally had a conversation recently. I mean, clearly a lot. And I was saying like, this is, I'm like looking up, I'm like, this is too ridiculous 
to be nothing after this. Like the way everything is formed, the nature, like you said, the, the things we feel, there's the miracles, whatever the hell you want to call it happens is too absurd and magical, like you said, for just to be nothing. But I could be wrong. I'm not affirming either, but it seems too ridiculous to just be nothing. And I think for me, one thing that's really important for all of us to wake up each day is a sense of hope mm-hmm. and um, having hope um, that I could be better today, that um, there's a reason for this um, and that there's something bigger. Uh, that lands the best for me. Does that help you with your any grief that you may have in your life in regards to losing people, the belief that you just explained? Yeah, sure. I think it's, it's interesting. I, I would say this, if I'm grateful for having lost um, someone early is also the practice. Mm-hmm. I have friends that they get all the way until they're 40 and they haven't really had a loss. And then it's usually like a parent or something. And I, it's an, it really is an ass kicker in a whole new way where there is something when you've had early loss that you've at least had developed a space and a relationship with loss. I agree. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to get into it now, but I, I almost lost my mom last month. Um, and that was the whole experience that kind of came full circle with me and my sisters based on our, I would think our prior experience. So it was like a weird, we have no idea what we're doing, but we knew exactly what to do. Really? And it was hard as hell, but much better place without going into that whole story. But it is interesting. And I think that's why these conversations are so important and why I want to tap into people that haven't experienced it. And speaking of someone as fun and interesting like you, that makes it much easier. But because I want people to not wait for it to be gone to realize what you have, I want you can mm. learn through others, maybe through practice. But by hearing stories like yours, I'm hoping to gather people that haven't experienced it. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important thing is also if you are a person who isn't, going to experience loss until way later. It's going to hurt in a different and maybe more intense way, but also you got that time. Yes. And so just simultaneously to honoring the pain and knowing, you know, there's good days and bad days that, oh, but man, I got some of that time with that person. Um, and just, again, we can, our eyes can look at whichever way we want them to. And in everything, there's something good, mm. even in the worst thing, right? Yeah, that was a lesson. And um, one thing that's been helpful for me is living with someone like Laird, where guys that do dangerous things or people, women, men, of you know, is I don't think they take it quite for for granted, and they know it's so fragile. It's all so fragile, and maybe that's another thing. If you said, "Hey, what did that experience do?" It's like. I'm not going to assume that uh, tomorrow just shows up mm-hmm. and it's it's so fragile. I'm not going to live in fear. I mean, you know, my kids, when they walk out the door, you're just like, okay. But you're just acutely aware that it's all balancing in this such a delicate way. So to, to appreciate it, enjoy it, if you want to take a risk in your personal life or your business or to stand up for yourself, you might as well. Yeah, I mean, it's an extreme example. We don't know so much, but you say, I'm not going to take this risk today and then it could be over tomorrow regardless. So yeah. it's a balancing act. But um, Gabby, I want to thank you so much for sharing all this. You're yeah. a blast. Well, I appreciate your having the conversations with people. It's important. Of course, it's, uh, when it's, it is important. And then thank you for recognizing that and sharing that. And I'm going to put all your information in the show description. If you okay. know, is there anything you want to plug or say? No, or- I do want to say one last thing Please. is I realize I, and I have a very a close friend of mine who's highly emotional and I'm much 
I, I, you know, I'm sort of a more thinking kind of by nature person. What I have learned though, and that I really stand by and honor when people have experienced a loss um, and grief, it's, there is no way to do that. I, I just, you know, cause you'll see people, it's like, oh, well that happened two years ago and they're having a bad day. And someone might go, are you still talking about that? Or they're, they feel bad that it only happened a month ago and they're having a good day. One thing I have learned through all of this is like, there is only your way to do it. And so you can hear me talk and I'm very analytical and all these things, but I, I would never have the, you know, I would never have, I would never do a disservice to the notion of grief, which is, hey, just do it your way. 100%. We all handle things differently. And it's not linear. There may be steps That's that right. work. That's right. Like, I think there's a guy, I think it's like the bullet points, and then you have a red pen and you can kind of move things around. Yeah. But- I don't know. You, you don't like again. You don't. You don't know till you. Uh, you get punched in the mouth sometimes, even if you are prepared for it. But having these things in like your chamber get you ready to at some point work it out. Yeah, and the weird balance of life is for the living, and that you've had a big loss is a really interesting place to live between. Such is life. But uh, thank you. Thanks. All right, dead talks out. Bye, Alex. Thank you. Later, guys. <laughs>